Hello, and welcome to another episode of Podcasting Success Secrets. My name is Hector Santiasteban, and we are here joined by Mr. Jeffrey Dwoskin. He's the founder of Stampede Social, and we're going to talk about how you can leverage tools and technology to grow and improve your podcast. Jeff, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hey, great to hang out with you and share some podcasting success secrets. Now we're going to get into Stampede Social and we're going to get into how someone might be able to better market their show on social media and some of the things that you've learned there. But take us into quickly how you got into the world of podcasting and ended up with, frankly, I think it's a pretty revolutionary tool that can help a podcaster grow. Yeah. You know, I've been doing stand-up comedy for over 20 years. So while I've always lived a corporate life, I've always also had a thread of creativity that I always had to execute in some way. So that stand-up comedy was actually the way I did that for many, many years. In the late 90s, I started one of the very first web development companies. That's where I started applying strategy and my creativity to marketing and technology applications. And the convergence of the focus on Stampede Social and my podcast was COVID related in the sense that, you know, when the pandemic started, that sort of opened up for one, I finally had time to start a podcast and focus full time on this creator technology that we'd been developing originally on Twitter, and then adapted a full suite for Instagram, just go full on with that. So that's the quick origin. But yeah. And talk to us about the show you're almost 400 episodes in if I'm not mistaken, what's the show about and how did that come about? My podcast is, it's classic conversations, almost 300, well, 400 with the live show that we do also, but I'm a big fan of old TV shows and stuff like that. I always loved going to comic cons and meeting all the celebrities that were there, which were usually ones from older movies or shows. And this is them making the rounds classic conversations, which is my podcast is sort of that come to life, but in podcast form. So instead of spending $60 to get their autograph and get 60 seconds with Ralph Macchio. I get to sit down an hour with the stars of Happy Days or the Orville or the Love Boat, Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> you know, I got into it by accident originally. And then people just kept saying, people are always like, how do you get those guests? And I'm like, well, I just ask. There's really no magic other than just making sure they have a comfortable place to go. Well, I'd love to just double tap on that because I think there's a lot of brilliance in that in the sense that it was rather intuitive for you because it made sense. It was things that you're already interested in, but in looking at it from like a systematic or why did it work? I think that these people, what's great is that there's a built-in audience that they already have that's kind of nostalgic that recognize them, but also those people are not being clamored for. I mean, their doors aren't being beaten down anymore for media appearances. And I'd imagine that there's, especially for those people, a little bit of limelight that they miss. And so when they get a chance to come on and talk about their glory days or their heydays, I feel like you have a good likelihood to get someone to do that, assuming that they're still not, you know, booked on the press tour. And so you can go after guests that will carry some weight, especially with your audience, but may not be as active media-wise as we think. Or not as active as they were in their heyday. Absolutely. I have Karen Grassel and Allison Arngram. They're from Little House on the Prairie. I interviewed them separately. And in the Facebook group for Little House on the Prairie, exploded 
Like it was crazy how many listens I got and likes on the post and all that kind of stuff. So there's like the other built in piece to that is that there's fan groups around a lot of the folks that I talk to. I talked to Burt Ward, Robin from Batman 66, and there's no shortage of Batman 66 focused Facebook pages that I can go in and I ask the admin, hey, you know, I talked to Burt Ward, care if I share my episode? Because usually they don't want you self-promoting. So I always just, I always ask first. And the only time that ever blew up, I got banned from a love boat one. <laughs> I'm like, I was only asking and then like, <laughs> but, but you know, one time out of all the times, it's, it's definitely still worth it. So yeah, yeah. but that's a good way to market as well. If you tap into groups that already exist with that particular interest. What's worked for you in reaching out to these sort of people or, or practically speaking, how are you getting in touch with these people? I send an email usually to their publicist or manager, just a quick, hey, you know, I'm Jeff Jawaskin. I would love to interview blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I do it remote and anytime over the next few months. Here's some of my guests that have been on the show. So the interesting thing that's happened is I had Sal Rubinick on recently. You'd recognize him if he, he was in Unforgiven and True Romance. If you saw him, you'd know he's, Certain character actors, you're like, you might not know the name, but if you saw, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. And he was like, oh, I looked at your list. I like, I had so many friends that have been on your podcast. That comes with time, but that happens now. So it's like they feel, oh, oh, these people are on it. Oh, okay. This must be okay. So that kind of builds on itself. Plus, it helps too. If they go listen to the podcast, they enjoy it. <laughs> you know, I've had people come on the podcast and the first thing they, Hey, I listened to a few of your episodes. I'm really looking forward to this. I really like your style, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that puts me at ease too, because now I know that they're here to have a good time and have a good conversation. I think though, and maybe you can push back on this a little bit. I think that a lot of people think that getting a guest, like a big name guest or a celebrity guest is the end all be all, or that that in it of itself is a, a marketing strategy or a growth strategy. Do you believe that or what are your thoughts on how to actually get the most or maximize uh, a celebrity appearance on your show? I think any guest in any genre can kind of play into what you're saying. So there's definitely guests that I'll put on and it may not be the greatest interview. I don't mean like back and forth. Maybe they didn't give as much, didn't share as much, but the name itself, people go, oh my God. And that's the name they're going to repeat. There's some value in that. Does it grow your show? No. But from a publicity point of view, it doesn't hurt when people see that you have those people on. I've found that the people that are not necessarily the most famous, maybe writers, people behind the scenes make for the better interviews or even greater interviews because their stories are pretty rich and deep and interesting and offer points of view that you wouldn't necessarily get from someone else. And then occasionally, the problem also with having certain folks on, if they've been on other podcasts, how many times are you gonna listen to the same person, regardless of how great mine is versus someone else's or vice versa? So it's always a matter of no matter who you're talking to, making sure there's something unique in there. But I think it's a balance of all those things. No, I don't believe you're going to get one person on your show and suddenly your show is made from that. Now, unless it's some 
huge, one of these huge viral people and they retweet it. I bet if, if I had Taylor Swift on, <laughs> that would be the exception, right? If she promoted my podcast, then I'd probably would all of a sudden be pretty popular. Well, I think the secret lies in the promotion, though. And that's why I'm excited to have you on, because unfortunately, a lot of people get into podcasting with the build it and they will come kind of attitude. If I build it, somebody will come and listen. So there's that part. But then also, not only do you just have to build it, you've got to be good, too. Like, it's got to be something worth just because the fact that you created it does not entitle you to listeners. And so you're playing this battle where not only do you have to stand out, but then you have to stand out and be quality, provide value. And I think that's become really challenging for podcasters these days because things have gotten so noisy because there is at least the appearance of so many shows that are out there. I just had a debate on our last episode about whether or not there are actually as many shows as people think that are out there because so many of them are idle. But regardless, it's a very noisy world and people's attention spans are shrinking. So we can't live in this bubble where we think if we just put out something on an RSS feed that it's going to catch fire and, and kind of get traction. It seems like that's part of your understanding as well is that we've got the show, but in order for it to go, we've got to put a little juice behind it. We've got to put it in these Facebook groups. We've got to get someone to share it. We've got this great thing, but we got to tell people about it too. It's a nonstop hustle. Here's how I knew when the hustle I was doing was paying off. I don't know if it meant people were listening, <laughs> but they were aware of the hustle. It became a running joke to say, like in my Facebook group and friends, like, or anyone who I'd randomly bump into, they go, oh, you have a podcast? But they'd say it sarcastically, meaning like I've mentioned it so many times <laughs> that just became their manifestation of it was, to joke about it. Like us, we know you have a podcast. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're very upfront about it, but yeah, it's a hustle. Yeah. You have to push it everywhere and it does get exhausting, right? Because they keep popping up threads and blue sky and this and that. And it's like, it can be daunting. And I think focused on some key things is probably keep you sane, but yeah, it's a constant thing. And I'm always kind of giving people unsolicited advice. I'm like, you know, you have to post more often. You have to make them different posts. A lot of people put the same post over and over again. It's like, it's got to look different. Otherwise, people think they already saw it and they'll ignore it. It's little things like that, but it's a constant thing. And you have to be somewhat consistent about it as well so that whether people realize it or not, new things are popping up all the time from you and they can always kind of rely on it somewhere in their feed. Yeah. Another thing that it's not unique to podcasters, but I think it's especially challenging because on Instagram, if someone engages with you, you know who they are. You get a notification. It says, you know, Sandra D liked your post. And even if she didn't follow you, even if she didn't whatever, you at least have some acknowledgement of who that person is. And if you wanted to, you could click on Sandra's profile and you could engage with her back. You could message her back. You could comment on her stuff. You could show there's a two way street there. Even with TikToks, even with YouTube, you know, there's still the comment section. And so to a less extent, they have that on YouTube, but it's still sort of there. There's still an ability to go back and forth, at least for your super engaged or your highly engaged fans. The challenge with podcasts is that when someone downloads your show, you have no idea who they are. You have to kind of parse it out from which country or which device they might be on. 
if they follow your show, you oftentimes just see that number. You don't know who that is or even where they're from or anything like that. I don't know about the subscription data that you're getting from Apple subscriptions or any of these other ones. Obviously, with Patreon and, and some of these other memberships, you do get a little bit more of that ability to follow up with them and email them and such. But otherwise, you're just out there in the dark. And you're just out there just shouting into a void and hoping that someone hears it sometimes. Is that something that has crossed your mind at all? Or is that a challenge that you've thought about it in regards to how podcasters can cultivate and, and grow a community outside of their show? Yeah, I mean, what you're describing is like we're creators and the majority of our listeners are not creators. They're just people who devour content. We as creators know it's good to like something or for me to tell you I liked your last episode or anything like that. That feedback loop is extremely important to us. It motivates us. Anytime you get a good review or somebody posts, like I have a few people that will always tweet at me when a new episode goes live. And honestly, if it's two days go by and the person's late, I'm like, what happened to Paul? <laughs> You know, so yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. One of the things that we developed with Stampede Social was to try and fix that and turn anonymous listeners, viewers, anything into known folks. And that's to drive them back to Instagram and engage with your DMs for something or other, right? By doing that, you know that they were driven from your podcast because maybe you very specifically told them to do something sign up your mailing list, grab a chartable link, you know, use my better help <laughs> discount code, anything. So there's ways where you can get them to engage with you to get that information that you at least have some indicator, a beacon that they were listening and now you know who they are. It's always going to be a fraction of a fraction, right, that are going to do that. But you can start to at least get a pulse and understand who your top fans are, which I think is something that's helpful to all of us. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it from a variety of standpoints. The first being, the last being monetization, which we'll talk about. But I think even before that, before putting on my capitalist hat, the ability to get feedback from your listeners is so powerful. And you talked about that feedback loop about getting positive feedback or reviews. But even being able to get negative feedback or constructive criticism is so valuable for a podcaster because of the way that podcasts are consumed even if a listener wanted to reach out to you, sure, they can maybe leave a rating, but if it was constructive, they're not going to give you five stars and say how amazing of an episode it was. That information is not privy to the creator. And so without the ability to interact and, and reach out to your audience, no matter how small it is, it becomes really hard to improve your show. You just end up doing the same thing over and over. And for sure, you might get more comfortable and you might get more confident per se, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the show itself is improving at the rate that it could have or that you are either talking about the topics or talking in a format that is resonating with your listeners. And I think that with a tool like Stampede, that all of a sudden becomes not only possible, but it's also convenient too. Yeah, feedback and growing your show and adapting your show is key. I mean, I can look at my own podcast and the evolution, if you want to listen to the early episodes versus. I made a radical shift, maybe 200 in as well, where I removed some things that I was doing and got to the interviews faster than I had been doing. 
and changed my mindset on it. And using Apple data, I was able to see that the completion rates quadrupled. So it was like, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, there is some truth to being able to make changes and actually improve the experience. Are you familiar with Jack Recider? Do you know who Jack is? No. He's the host of the Darknet Diaries, and he came on, or uh, he's probably around episode 30-ish or so. So go back and listen to it, because it's fantastic. But one of the things that he did early on was ask his initial listeners, what made you turn it off? Or what made you want to stop listening to the show? Not like, what did you like about it and what was great about it? Because a lot of them were friends or people in his network or whatever it was. But by asking and getting feedback on what made you want to turn it off or what made you stop it, he was able to find so many of those things like you talked about too long of an intro or not acknowledging the, the listener or, or like whatever it was, he was able to find those so much quicker because he was able to ask for that specific sort of feedback. The only way to get it is to ask. And sometimes even when you ask, you know, it's like, it's hard to get people to tell you a negative. They don't want to hurt your feelings. Positive's great. That's what makes us all smile <laughs> ear to ear. And even in stand-up comedy, it's one of those things where it's like, you can have a thousand amazing shows. It's the show where you crashed and burned that you learn from. It's the only time that you can take away lessons to adapt to make sure those kind of things don't happen again. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you need somebody trusted who enjoys your show that can tell you this might be better or I noticed you did this or, you know, you do that. And yeah, on one of the shows we produce, we put a, um, and it's kind of an ongoing thing that we mention almost every episode, but we have a survey that we put out to our listeners asking for exactly that. What do they like and what do they really dislike? And what's interesting is that you'll see a lot of the feedback that's great. You guys are so amazing. And here's this one little thing that you might be able to improve. And it's like, okay, great. That's awesome. And then you also have these other bits of feedback where it, it is just scathing vitriol almost. And people are so emotion. There's so much emotion that you can feel in the writing. And I'll say that at the beginning, it was very easy to just write that off as saying like, you know what, this person's crazy. They're just, they're crazy. But once we got beneath that kind of emotion, and the vitriol and some of the words that they chose to use, we started to go, well, maybe there is something there. Maybe there is something that maybe they didn't express it in a way that was totally appropriate even. But what they're saying and what they're pointing out may have merit regardless. And so even from those types of feedbacks, we were really able to get some things that made a big difference on the show. You know, like transparently, one of them was, hey, this is cool, but you have no female perspectives. There was it's only women and it felt it feels like a it feels like a fraternity house in there. And we're like, OK, that's kind of right, because everybody who was working on the show was all guys. And so we're like, oh, OK, that I could see that. And, and that was a perspective that we hadn't considered. So we started inviting more female guests on, bringing guest co-hosts and, and incorporating that. And that was a huge turning point for that show. So even in the abrasive sort of feedback is really, really good stuff sometimes. Advice I got early on in my career, not specifically podcasting or anything like that, was never fall in love with love. And I think it applies to this and everything, which is don't get so caught up in what you're doing that you can't make those changes or be able to hear what people have to say and adapt to keep moving. That's always just been something I keep in the back of my head. I don't love the rating systems. From a creator point of view, when you have a one or a five and people can slam your show, that's forever. That's not feedback. <laughs> it's nice that people do positive, but 
Honestly, it's like it doesn't do anyone any good that somebody didn't like one of your particular guests. So bigger shows can stomach that more because percentage wise, the number, you know, the rating works different than if it's a small person that just struggles to get 100 percent where every everyone is a percent. Every comment is a percent. I think we all need the negative feedback. But the other problem is unless you're asking for it and have a way to funnel it people tend to only use those very public ways to do it. And as a creator, it's like that sits there forever. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a really good point that the rating system is very unindicative of the show at that particular moment. Like you said, it was an episode that they're basing a rate of. It's not in Audible or on Kindle where you read the whole book and you listen to the whole book and you give a rating on the entire thing. It's like if they asked you to leave a rating after the chapter and like you read one chapter and then you're supposed to give an entire review on the book. So, so that's a really good point that I don't think is in the conversation enough. We talk about feedback. Another thing, keeping it around Stampede and some of the things that Stampede allow are contests and promotions. And you know, when people think about how can we get a lot of listeners, how can we really drive some engagement like today, right now, we want to really move the needle this week. You can't really do that with episode swaps. You can't really do that with promo swaps. Even posting on social media, maybe you get a little bit of a bump, but generally, I even think that social media is almost like a maintenance sort of activity. But contests and promotions, giveaways specifically, have been huge, huge drivers of growth. Is that something that you've ever considered or played around with or when it comes to like running things like that? Uh, you definitely could do it on Stampede, but but how do you think about that sort of promotional and marketing activities? I was in the promotion sweepstakes instant win world for six years. That was what I did professionally. I'm a big fan of leveraging giveaways and contests. People call everything a contest, but what they really it's really a sweepstakes that they're doing. It's a great way to engage and get followers. Now, I don't recommend that you hire one of those services that says they're going to have some random person run a giveaway because they're very popular and then have everyone follow you as a criteria to enter that contest because that's what we call sweepers. And like sweepers are basically just people who are entering and doing something to qualify but aren't interested in necessarily the thing they just opted in for. So basically what that means is you can feel good about maybe you go from 500 to 1500 followers all of a sudden But all you've done is made a number that you can tell your friends and maybe feel better about, but you're probably not gaining a thousand new followers worth of engagement at any level beyond that initial thing. Doing it yourself and slow growth with the right people is always going to be the best way to do it. So yeah, post-level giveaways are great and Stampede Social handles that for you. Using Stampede Social to drive people to a registration form. Because there's two kinds of contests that you can do specifically on sweepstakes on Instagram. One is you can do post level, which is usually comment below, tag a friend, right? And then that's the entry. And the way Stampede Social works without getting into the weeds is it actually collects all that data for you, has a winner selection tool built in, does everything automatically. You don't even have to so do you anything. Can contest right in Stampede? Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, uh, it's all that. built in because the interesting thing about Stampede Social is it's basically an engagement monitoring tool. And then there's features on top of that. So every comment that comes in with a post or a reel or an Instagram live event 
is stored in this engagement database. It's also stored in context to that particular post. And so what that means is over time, because this is always running over a year, I can know, oh, Hector has uh, commented on my posts 50 times. I know who my top fans are. I know who the top people are who are engaging with me are because we're collecting the data in a very specific way. So what that means is then at a post level or in a real level or during our EEL or Instagram live, you can use the winner selection tool to pick from the comments. You have a thousand comments. You say, I only want people to enter one time. It'll dedupe it. It'll randomize it and give you a winner list that you can use to get use as a giveaway. That's a post level. The other strategy is collecting mailing lists, which everyone talks about. It's still important. It'll always be important because you see what happened with Twitter, MySpace for those that remember, Vine for those that remember, things go away. Email is, is and probably will always remain the constant. So another way to do a sweepstakes is drive people to a registration form. That's how you enter, where you fill out your name, opt into an email mailing list, and then the winner selection is done that way. So there's two ways to do contests. It depends what your goals are. You can do one, one time, one, another time, just pivot between them. But getting people to the registration form is another key thing that Stampede Social does. Most people go to the link in bio. We're the link in bio killer. We say, don't do that. Just you comment below hashtag sweeps, and then they'll get a DM from you automatically with a link and they click on that link and that takes them to the registration form. You can do that but with podcast episodes, mailing lists, anything. I love it. If people want to find out about Stampede Social or try it out, where's the best place to go? Stampede.social is the website. You can check that out. If you want, you can email me from there. There's a form you can fill out. And if they want to get more connected with you, Jeff, is there a, or the show that you host, is there a better place to, to go and do that? On Instagram, Jeff at Jeff Dwaskin Show is my podcast. And then on Twitter, I, I don't call it X, on Twitter, <laughs> Big Macher, B-I-G-M-A-C-H-E-R is my personal Twitter account. Cool. We'll link those up in the show notes as well. For those of you listeners who stuck with us and made it through this, we get into the weeds here, guys, on podcasting success secrets. And that's really what we're here to do is give you the tools, the tactics, the strategies that you need to go out and make a better show for yourself and for your audience. But if you did get some value out of today, which I'm sure you did, we would love and appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. If you have the Spotify app downloaded on your phone or you happen to be listening, I would give you extra brownie points to hop over there and give us a rating or review. It's, it's one of the ones that we're trying to make a push on if you know someone who needs to hear this, who's thinking about starting a podcast or has one of their own, send them this episode and let's grow the community together. As always, we appreciate you being a part of the, the community here. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.